of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Today, as you noticed, we've got blue everywhere um, on the backdrop, and we're all wearing blue. It's because tomorrow is the uh, feast of the Dormition of the Theotokos. Very important, one of the 12 major feasts of the year. Um, unfortunately, we are not able to do it because of uh, our situation at the moment. But hopefully in the future, we'll be able to have our own place where we can do all these services and celebrate them. Um, but just a quick look at that service before we look at the gospel. Um, according to church tradition, when the Theotokos was near death, all of the apostles, except Thomas, uh, were, were brought to um, her. And uh, they spent the last hours of her life with her. And then she died, they buried her. And then uh, Thomas came to her, and they, the other disciples were going to take, her to the, take him to the grave. And when they got there, they found that she wasn't there. And an angel of the Lord told them that the, the Lord himself had come and taken her to heaven. That's the sort of um, the story that we have around this feast. Um, so Orthodox Christians see in this feast an important teaching of the faith the general resurrection of the body. At the end of the creed, we say, I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the age to come. And this is what we're reminded of when we celebrate the feast of the Theotokos, of the, the Dormition of the Theotokos. So we hope in our own resurrection and in eternal life. And the Dormition of the Theotokos helps us to get a foretaste of this coming event in all of our lives, you know, the ultimate statistic is, is one out of one dies. We're all going to die one day, and it can be very scary. Death is not something that, you know, we, uh, we um, talk about a lot in our culture these days. The secular culture is very afraid of it, but we bring it to our attention. The Orthodox Church brings it to our attention because we know it's going to come to all of us one day. doesn't matter whether you're a bishop, an archbishop, a patriarch, or an ordinary priest, or a very special person in the parish. Um, it's going to come to us. So we need to think about this. We need to prepare for it. And this is one of the little lights that the church gives us during the year, the, fe the feast of the Dormition, when we're reminded that Jesus himself came to collect his mother and take her to heaven. And this is a good picture of our own resurrection to um, eternal life um, with him if we follow him to the end of our lives so now I want to move on to the gospel for today and um, it's, a, it's a great story um, but I want to go back to another um, boat many many years before this boat that the disciples found themselves in on the Sea of Galilee the one that uh, Noah was told to build many 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 years before this um, uh, Noah was a good man, we're told. He was a, a holy man. And he was told by God to build this huge ship, which we call the Ark. Uh, it's a wonderful story. It's a story I used to love reading to my children when they were uh, growing up. We have lovely pictures of rainbows and uh, uh, boats and animals going onto the Ark and then the flood and then birds coming in with different things and uh, they eventually land on Mount Ararat. Noah and his family were the only family that didn't drown. 
in the flood, the worldwide flood, which means that we're all descended from Noah, doesn't it? So we all, we're all related. You know, we've got 22 different cultures in here, but you know what? We're all related because we all go back. If we go back far enough, we all go back to Noah um, because nobody else survived. Isn't that an interesting thought? So even though you might, you might think, you know, I'm, I'm better, you know, I used to think that God was an Englishman. <laughs> my, first, my first spiritual shock, I've told some of you this already, my first spiritual crisis was when I went to the film The Ten Commandments. And my parents took me many, many years ago. I could not believe that God had an American accent. <laughs> but we're all descended from Noah, so we're all brothers and sisters. We're all, we're all in the big, one, one big family. Now, many people have uh, gone looking for the Noah's Ark on Mount Ararat. Some people think they found remnants of it and so on. Uh, archaeologists have studied throughout the world trying to find out where, if there's evidence for a worldwide flood. I think there is. Um, I'm sure there is. Um, but what interests us as Christians, as Orthodox Christians, is the spiritual meaning of the flood. Because Noah was pure in heart, God spoke to him, and he and his family were saved. The flood is a sign of baptism, our cleansing and salvation from the corruption of the earth. And the ark is a symbol of the church, the ark of salvation, in which we can weather the floods of the passions of this world, riding out the storms of this world. And there are many storms in this world. We've just come through a major one over the last couple of years. Today's gospel may remind us of many signs and symbols in the story of Noah. The disciples in the boat are us. The Sea of Galilee is the Sea of Life. The night in which they sail is the darkness of our ignorance. The wind which causes the storm is the attacks of the demons. The storm is the trials and tribulations of this life. The fourth watch, when Christ came to them, is just before dawn. And some people say the first watch is the darkness of the night, in the darkness of the night, is the covenant with Abraham. The second watch is the commandments given by Moses. The third watch is the prophets who foretold the coming of Christ. And the fourth watch is when Christ comes to us. He walks on the water. It's amazing. He walks on the water. The, um, the Egyptian hieroglyphic for the impossible is a man walking on water. So he's doing the, the impossible. Well, how can he do the impossible? Well, he's the creator. He created everything. Um, by him, all things were made, we say in the creed. And as soon as he enters the boat, the wind calms, the flimsy craft of human actions, tossed with waves, becomes with Christ the unsinkable ark of salvation. The church in which Christ is the head. And with Christ, we all, like Peter, are saved and confess him. Truly, you are the Son of God, as all the disciples did that day. I want to look at Peter, because he uh, challenged Jesus and said to him, Lord, command me to come to you. And Jesus said, come. So he steps out of the boat, immediately got out of the boat and started walking towards Jesus. And he did all right to start with, but then he starts to sink. And he starts to panic, and he prays the prayer I pray a lot. Oh God, oh God, oh God, help! (laughs) 
And Jesus reached down his hand and rescued him and took him back to the boat and got into the boat and he was all calm. Notice something here. There's a few things that I, uh, as I was thinking about this, that I hadn't seen, I hadn't realized before. Jesus could have taken him straight to the shore. He could have. To dry land and safety. He could have calmed the storm straight away. But he didn't. He took Peter back to the boat. In the storm, while the storm was still uh, raging, holding onto his hand until he got into the boat. And then it became calm. Janet has in her family history a story of um, one of her uncles who died when he was 17 year old, years old, early last century. He was quite young. And the whole family was gathered around him while he was, in, while he was dying. They knew he was dying. Actually, this is one of, the, one of the worst things about the COVID thing, I think, is that the families can't be with their loved ones when they're dying. It's terrible. And we miss out on so much at that time. I've been at a few people at the moment of death and um, it's, it's, it's good to be there. But sometimes, and in this case, this was a, one of those cases when uh, something unusual happened. And uh, this, this man, he was called Thomas, 17 years old. And he said, shortly before he died, he said, I can see Jesus. And he says, there's 21 people with him. And they're waiting for me. And the family were kind of, what's he talking about? And anyway, he died. And the next morning, the next morning, when they got hold of a paper, a newspaper, there'd been terrible storms. This is in a, in a part of Lincolnshire, in the east of uh, England. There'd been terrible storms. And 21 people had been killed. Isn't that amazing? Now, when, we, when we're not with our loved ones when they die, we miss these things. We miss these things. If you saw the film um, uh, Man of God, how many of you saw that? Yeah? Great. If you haven't seen it, I really encourage you to see it. But what happened when St. Nectarius was dying? Just at the moment he was dying, he kind of sits up. Is that you, Lord? And he died. And I've, I've heard countless stories like that. At the moment of death, people either see Jesus or something happens there. Uh, even, even one person in my last Anglican parish, he was not a Christian, but his wife was, and we, we looked after her until she died. And then we looked after him, because even though he wasn't coming to church, he was um, handicapped, so we, we looked after him. And even at his deathbed, two of my parishioners were with him. And at the moment of his death, he, he uh, opened his eyes and he looked up. And it was a, the, the, a look of fear on his face, really. And, and they said to me, we don't know what he saw, but he saw something. And we, when, you, when you're with people when they die, you realize there's more to this life than meets the eye. There is a life to come. That's why we have feasts like the Dormition Feast to encourage us that God it will not abandon us. He will come and will take us to be with himself. And then you have the story of, my, of Janet's um, uh, uncle when he died. He could see Jesus before he died. And he could see these 21 people with him. 
Amazing. How could that have happened if there wasn't another dimension in this world which we're not aware of when we're all tied up in daily life and so on? Jesus could have taken Peter to the shore, the other shore. I think, I think uh, Thomas um, said they were on the other shore waiting for them, waiting for him to go across. But he didn't. He kept hold of Peter's hand in the storm. And he walked him back to what? The boat. And what's the boat? The church. That's right. And sometimes we get into storms in our life and we're away from the church. And we don't know how to cope. And we're trying everything. We're going to psychologists, we're going to psychiatrists, we're going to counsellors, we're going to this, that and the other. But Jesus, if we call out to him, he'll get us by the hand the storms will continue, but if we're looking at him and we're trusting in him, we will get back to the boat. Because until our time is done, until it is God's time, we will continue in this life. And the best place to be is in the boat, in the church. And so God will continually bring us back to the boat. I mean, there's some people here, I don't know how they got here, really. I don't, the, the possibility of them being here in our culture today is almost impossible, but they found their way here. They must have called out to Jesus, and he brought them to the boat. Actually, it's my story as well, and it's many, many people's stories. I wandered away when I was late teens. I thought, I can manage by myself. Thank you very much, God. And, and he kept tripping me up and knocking me over, and I, oh, Lord, help me, back into the boat. <laughs> And I've been there ever since. So this is what God wants to teach us and wants to uh, help us with. Now, um, I don't know whether you remember, many years ago, no, maybe a couple of years ago, I preached on this same gospel, and I said there's two reasons why God brings storms into our lives. One is, is to correct us if we're off the track, and another is to perfect us. Remember that? Storms of correction or storms of perfection. So Jonas, Jonah, when he rebelled against God, he didn't do what God said. He was in a storm in a boat and, and uh, swallowed by a, a huge fish, spat up on a beach until he did what he was told to do. Storm of correction. Storms of per perfection is what this one is. It's a storm of perfection for the disciples. Jesus wanted them to learn more trust in him. And they wanted, he wanted them to see who he was, that he was God. You are truly the Son of God. They worked that out by the end of the storm. Okay. What are we going through now? We've just come through two years of COVID. We've left our comfortable situation at the university. We've ended up in a freezing cold hall. My fingers are nearly blue at the end. <laughs> what are we in at the moment? Is this a storm of correction or a storm of perfection? I think it's a storm of perfection. God is testing us. And we need to keep looking at Jesus. It's interesting. You know, I said a few weeks ago, I feel like a rabbit in the headlights. I don't know which way to go. I look at the pros and cons. I've done lists of pros and cons. I sent them to the bishop to look at. I was hoping to talk to him yesterday, but he... No, Saturday, but he, he couldn't make it. And for him to look at and see how...
complicated it is. There's pros and cons both ways. Very good pros to go back to the university and very good pros to stay here and cons both ways as well. Um, so I'm like a, a rabbit in the headlight. And then last week, I, this week I read Psalm 32 verse 9. It says, be not, be not like a horse or a mule without his understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle. And so I mustn't be like a, a horse or a mule where God's trying to you know, get me to go this way or this way. I still can't work it out. And then somebody sent me this. Um, don't be like a squirrel. The road of life is paved with flat squirrels who couldn't make a decision. <laughs> <laughs> so that didn't help either. <laughs> but then I, then I saw um, St. Peter in the water and when he was sinking. And Jesus said to him, why did you doubt? Why did you doubt? And do that, that um, word from the Greek, see, the English is very limited in its, uh, how it works, but somebody's trying, if you go to the Greek, it, says, it, it means um, the, 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 trans, the, the, the word translated out carries the meaning of standing uncertainty, uncertainly at two ways. That's what Peter was doing. He was standing uncertainly at two ways. So here, I'm like Peter. I'm in the water. I'm, uh, but, I'm, but I'm not like Peter in a way. Um, but we're at that point where we're standing. We're looking at two ways. Are we going to stay in the hall or are we going to go back to the university? Uh, but what did, what did Jesus say? What did he say? Look at me. So here we are. We've got two options. Don't look at that one. Don't look at that one. Look at Jesus. That's what this message is for me, anyway, out of this passage today. Look at Jesus. All of us must look at Jesus. One of my aims last week, I said, was to keep us all together. I don't want people to go off, um, you know, because we, we stay here, they go off somewhere else, or we go there and they stay, they go somewhere else. I want everybody to stay together. The reason we came into the hall was to stay together because we were separated by the compulsion of the university for vaccinations and so on. What were the disciples doing in the boat anyway, in the middle of the sea? They were fishermen. They were, well, they were fishermen, but they actually didn't want to get in the boat. Did you realize that? In the, in the gospel today, it says, uh, at that time, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat. Okay. Again, the Greek. You need to look at the Greek. And this is the version which uh, sort of expands the whole thing and gives us, gives us a bit more Greek meaning. And immediately, he compelled the disciples to board the boat and proceed him to the other side. Jesus compelled them to get in the boat. They didn't want to get in the boat. Maybe they could tell there was a storm coming. They were fishermen. But he compelled them to get into the boat because this was a, uh, not a storm of correction, a storm of perfection. He wanted them to have this. And then he left them, went up the hill to pray. Now, I feel like, um, you know, the government compelled us to have these vaccinations or not have them or stay at the university or not stay at the university. In a way, in a way, if we were going to stay together, we were compelled to come here. And we have to look at Jesus again. Jesus, in his wisdom, has compelled us to be at this point, at, at this, in this location, at this time. All right? You with me? So what do we do now? We're in this storm. What are we going to do now? 
We've got to look at Jesus. We've got to look at Jesus. We just have to look at Jesus until he takes us safely to the shore. And you know what? I have been following Jesus all my life. I mean, my parents baptized me when I was a baby. I've got a photograph to prove it. Uh, and um, I, came, I came to personal faith in my late teens um, after I'd kind of wandered away a bit, thinking I could manage by myself. And so for the last 50 years, I've been in a few storms. And I can say that Jesus has always been faithful. Jesus always comes to us in the storm. Jesus will always rescue us. And you know what? He's going to rescue us from this situation too. I don't know what he's going to do yet. The storm's still raging, but I'm keeping my focus on him. And that's what I'm asking all of you to do, to keep your focus on him. Not on the pros and cons of here, the pros and cons of there, and all this sort of stuff. Not on the lack of money to buy a place for ourselves. Just keep our focus on him. And we will keep worshipping him. Um, you are truly the son of God. Amen? Do you reckon we can do that? Thanks. Thank you, everybody. Um, now to God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, be ascribed all might, majesty, dominion, and praise. Now and forever the age of ages. Glory of martyrs through all.